Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I was in the water for about like three and a half minutes or so, and Andy pulled me out of my boat, got me to shore, and started doing CPR. And then eventually I just like kind of started coughing up in water and came back. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and episode 96 with James Shimizu. This episode is a return to our rarely featured dispatches, something I'm keen to do a fair few more of this year. The dispatches are our shorter form episodes that usually focus on one particular story, a moment or a theme. In this episode, I chat to James about his recent experience getting knocked out in a kayak in tricky whitewater and the ensuing rescue that saved his life. We got the idea for the episode after seeing the video of James's encounter that went kind of viral on Instagram. We've linked that video in the description of the episode. We also dig into a bit more detail and talk about James's childhood in Asia and how that influenced the person he is today. Okay, over to James Shimizu. So... If you could just start by introducing yourself, sort of tell me who you are, what you do, and, and a bit about um, your background and where you come from. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is James Shimizu. I'm 26 years old. I live in White Salmon, Washington, and I kayak a lot. It's kind of an obsession of my life lately. And uh, yeah, I grew up in Asia. My parents are from, uh, my mom's from Denver and my dad's from Tokyo. And I spent most of my childhood in Hong Kong, Shanghai, Beijing, just massive Asian cities. And then I moved over to the States spring of 2013 to kind of just start doing my own thing, get away from the parents. And, uh, and yeah, now I'm, now I'm here. (laughs) Wow. I didn't know that. That's cool. So, um, I'm going to have to go down that rabbit hole. Like what was life like growing up there? I mean, for me, it was, all I knew to some extent, you know, like my whole life was just growing up in these big cities. So it was just, you know, the reality I was given and it was what I knew. We'd come and visit the States like every summer, every other summer. And I get a taste of that a little bit, but just like kind of road tripping around with the parents, nothing like nothing on my own until I moved here. And then did you, were you like an adventurous and outdoorsy kid? Um, I mean, I was into like sports in school, maybe like, like some soccer, some baseball, but honestly, like towards the end of high school and middle school, I mean, I just, I did like, I I rode bicycles a lot. That was kind of my thing before kayaking, just like road biking around. And, uh, and yeah, I wouldn't say like 
that adventurous. I did like climbing some mountains, but nothing, nothing like this really. So how do you go from growing up in those kind of Asian cities as a, as a non-outdoorsy kid to living the life you live now? So when I moved to the States, it was like May of 2013 and I had a little bike tour planned from Colorado, like Denver up to Yellowstone. Then I would explore around Yellowstone for a bit and then come back and start going to community college in Denver, which has yet to happen. I ended up just having so many people during that bike trip tell me I need to go to Montana and check out Glacier National Park. And eventually I was just like, all right, well, I guess I'll just go and went up there, kind of fell in love with the place and ended up just staying there. I mean, I I went back at one point to get some stuff, but I just ended up spending that next winter in Montana. And, uh, and yeah, I loved it. And what was the transition to kayaking like? Where did that come from? So my first, I guess, almost year in Montana, I didn't have a car. All I had was my like touring bike and hitchhiking. And when it got too gnarly, I would just hitchhike around. I was one day I was hitchhiking to go skiing in Whitefish from Kalispell. So like 20, 30 minute drive. But uh, yeah, just hitchhiking. And then this, this guy, Brandon Sweet, this raft guide from Kernville picked me up and he's like, what are you doing on the side of the road? Like I've seen you here before, but I haven't been able to pick you up because I was on a rush to work and we got talking and we like went and skied together or whatever. And he was saying that I should sign up for their raft company the next summer. And I'd never even been rafting at this point. I was like, man, you're crazy. Like I have no idea how to do that stuff. And he was like, no, we need more people like you. It'll be great. And definitely a big learning process, but, uh, but yeah, that kind of got me into the river world. And then next thing I knew, down the kayaking rabbit hole. But like, it's kind of crazy, right? To go from having literally never done it to working for a raft company. I I think, I mean, that river, the river up there by Glacier, it's the Middle Fork of the Flathead River. And it's a really good river to learn on because it's like, there's can still be consequence, but it's pretty chill, you know? It's like class two, three, Um. And so it was a really forgiving place to learn. And I think a lot of people there had never really rafted before. Like some people had a little bit of rafting background, but no one had guided. And I mean, there were definitely people who had been working there for years and years. But I think I think there were a few of us who were just starting fresh, you know, from from zero. But yeah, the idea of it at first was definitely kind of daunting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it must have been. And so how does the kayaking play into it? Or where did that come from? So... I guess one moment when I first like before I didn't before I knew what kayaking was, I was down in Missoula with my roommate at the time, Tyler. We were just doing some like fun 5K run and they have a surf wave in downtown Missoula called Brennan's Wave. And we were just walking around and then I was like, wow, I don't know what these guys are doing. This is like they're in short little playboats and I had never seen anything like that. It looked almost alien and I was like, I don't know what they're doing, but it looks sick. Like this is I don't know. And then then it kind of faded away, you know, for a while. And then like at the raft company, I ended up acquiring just the tiny little playboat that summer. And just it was hard to get people to motivate to go out. And I get it. We spent all day on the river. And so people didn't really want to go out kayaking. And there weren't really a lot of kayakers at that first raft company anyways. But so sometimes I would go just like by myself and one day I remember I like went by myself in the chill section, but you know, chill without knowing how to roll can be turned into a bit of a disaster. So like my boat was going downstream. I lost my boss's paddle. I'm just like swimming class two by myself. I, I just wanted to do it. And then 
after that summer, I guess that fall and winter, uh, I met a fellow named Pat who worked for another raft company and he would just, he's a good kayaker, you know, like he knows what's up, but he would go out there and just like do his thing and kind of accompany me. We'd have a good time while I was just like swimming and figuring it out. And yeah, I guess I worked for two seasons up there in Glacier and then I was dishwashing at this Chinese restaurant in Whitefish and I got a call from my friend Gonzo and he's like, quit your job right now. We, I need you to come to the gorge with me. You need to come check it out. And luckily, luckily that was one job where it was chill. Like the boss was like, no stress, man. Like it's all good. And so I went on a week long road trip. I think that was fall of 2015 out here. And then I moved that following January. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And uh, it almost sounds like a stupid question, but what have you been doing since? Oh, since then, I raft, I've raft guided, I've worked in restaurants, mostly, I mean, mostly kayaking has been the main focus. And then, you know, doing whatever it takes to keep it going, like working on weed farms and all sorts of stuff. Since the pandemic hit, I've just been doing this DoorDash food delivery, which is kind of slowing down as the pandemic dwindles. But it was actually a real silver lining there for a bit when all the restaurants were closed. Like it was insanely busy and really good money and also like freedom to have my own schedule to some extent. Yeah. And like, forgive me if I get this wrong, but um, I don't know a huge amount about the kayak world, like a, a bit, but I'm not immersed in that world. Like mm-hmm. as, you know, skiing, when skiing first came around and climbing first came around, they were like counterculture kind of punk activities. And now, Climbing's in the Olympics, skiing's in the Olympics. You know, these are super mainstream activities that are done by millions of people. Does kayaking still have that kind of undiscovered counterculture feel to it as a community? Um, I think it's definitely a bit of a niche sport. I don't know if it's like so much counterculture, but it's definitely a small sport, you know, like it's it makes it really feels like a small world, the kayaking world it's on like a global scale, you know, like I feel like people within the kayaking community, like you'll, it'll be like, you know, it's like six degrees of separation, but like across the world, kind of like one friend in that you've met in Canada, you'll, will know someone in Chile that, you know, like it's, it's a lot of people. And I think there's more than you can even really imagine out there, but yeah, it's definitely a small sport and it makes sense. Like I get why, not everyone wants to be like strapped into a plastic tub going downstream. You're kind of at the mercy of the river to some extent. Which brings me nicely onto what it was I was hoping to talk to you about, which is, yeah, that not, that doesn't always go to plan, right? No, not always. Yeah. And I mean, it would be, I'm sure you've had lots of, you know, mishaps over the years, but if you could tell me the story of what happened recently and don't hold back, that would be ace. For sure. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I actually have not had, like, I've had some 
a few unpleasant swims, but I've never had a serious injury kayaking more than just like minor muscle tweaks and strains. I've never had a situation where I was like, oh my God, I'm I'm gonna die, you know? Like and I mean in this instant, this this accident recently, it was like I was unconscious. So there wasn't it was just like I was awake and then I was asleep kind of. So there wasn't like a oh my God, I'm gonna die. But I don't know. Um but anyways, yeah, it was Tuesday the eighth of February and me and Andy and Mary and Gavin we're just going for a nice, like, low water lap down the Little White. We brought cameras to get some media and uh, sunny day, you know, super nice out. And, yeah, we just stopped a bunch. It was, like, kind of a slower pace lap just because we were getting out to film and take pictures. But we get to Spirit. I run Spirit. I'm waiting below it. And then Gavin runs it. And as I see him just, like, clear out of Spirit itself, I peel out to line up the next move, which is Chaos, which is, like, a little bit of a... I think it's like a four or five foot ledge hole. And uh, yeah, and honestly, until I had watched all the GoPro footage and people told me what had happened, all I remembered, my memory kind of stopped at like lining my boat up to come into chaos. And then the next thing I remembered was hiking out with EMTs. And like other stuff has like slowly come back, but like it was definitely a bit of memory loss there. But having had friends who were with you and the footage and all of that stuff, what are the gaps? What was it that really happened? So I lined up the rapid and, you know, that's where my memory ended. But what had happened next, I I was in a half slice boat. So it's a little more prone to going over the back deck and flipping. But I was just maybe a little too far right, maybe not enough speed. And I just like flipped end over end back endering. And then uh, missed about half a roll. And then I think that's when I smoked my face directly on a, there's this like basalt rock that forms a curler in the middle of the lip. And I think that's what was just like knocked me out. And actually the hiker who helped Andy hold the rope had a cell phone video of me going over and you can like see exactly what happens. And you just like, you see me flip that second time. And then I go over the ledge hole, pop up, and my paddle goes one way, and I go the other, and like I'm just out at that point. And so I guess Andy saw that happen because he was still up at the lip of Spirit, and he ran down, and I believe he had the hiker hold the rope for him, and Andy clipped onto his life jacket. We call it live bait rescue, and he jumped in, and I was in the water for about like three and a half minutes or so, and Andy pulled me out of my boat, got me to shore. And started doing CPR, and then eventually I just like kind of started coughing up in water and came back. Definitely pretty out of it right there. But and they were like, I was like, what happened? You know, like they're kind of telling me and just like chill. Like, I mean, there's lots of questions to ask, but you so you tell that story like super calmly. Is that because you've processed everything that happened, or because it just was what it was? You know, you seem pretty level about it all. I mean, I get why some people would think that, like, I get this is like, you know, a traumatic experience for sure, but I don't feel like I have, I'm traumatized or like PTSD from it. Like, I don't, I don't see this as being a barrier for the future of my kayaking or my life. You know, if, I think it's honestly, you know, it was definitely a close call, but I think it's honestly a gift, the perspective and appreciation that it provides. And, I've definitely had my time to like look like watch the video, like process it all. And 
But I don't know. I mean, it just makes sense to me. You know, I know what happened. I know what I need to not do again. And yeah, and honestly, I'm like pretty grateful. I'm relatively unscathed. I've got a, what they call it, orbital orbital floor or orbital wall. It's like an eye socket fracture, a cheekbone fracture. And then my nose, it's a, it's a lot straighter now. It was way more broken off to the side. And that was actually one of the more frustrating parts of this whole ordeal was just dealing with the American medical system, getting it reset in time. Because they say you have like 14 days from when it happens to when you should get your nose reset. Or maybe you can still get it done after that, but I think it might become more difficult. So that was kind of like a I'm on the phone every day for a few hours just trying to get it to come through. And luckily last Friday it went through and got it done. And, but yeah, you know, I'm like rest. I'm not like my, in, my shoulders are good. I don't have any other injuries, which I'm super grateful for. What about your friends? How have they reacted to it? The people that were there with you? Uh, I think they're doing pretty well. Yeah. We hung out the day after I got out of the hospital. So like two days after I hung out with some of them and we, we actually went out just like went out into the woods and shot some guns and just like, yeah, everyone seems to be doing really well. And I don't know, that's not really like a typical activity in my life, but I, they thought that would be a fun thing to just like go do. So it was good, you know, just hang out with them all in the forest and just, yeah, everyone, I think everyone's in really good spirits, all things considered. Yeah. And, you know, not to put my own two cents on it too much, but you, you kind of live and exist within this community that we discussed before, right? And right, I think it will be will be difficult for lots of people to understand how calm you are about it all. But you know, it is it just par for the course. It's just what happens in adventure and extreme sports sometimes, and that's the way it is. I mean, I could I get why some people. It's definitely like an intense thing, you know. Having that happen is not chill. Um, but like, I don't know. It's, I think it it's, it's kind of weird, but I almost feel like it was overdue in a sense. Like, like I, I live my life in a way I try to like train a lot. I visualize, I like obsess over kayaking in my head all day, even if I'm like doing other stuff, you know, like, and I guess that's debatable on how healthy that is, but you could call it dedication. I don't know. But like I try to make kayaking as safe as I can through training and just just like any number of things. And I've ha- I've been kayaking hard whitewater for years now and running waterfalls and I haven't had anything serious happen. So I almost think in a sense that it was overdue just probability and numbers game wise. I don't think this has to happen to anybody, but I feel like most of my friends have had more, maybe not close calls, but intense injuries or experiences. So yeah, I don't know. I guess you could just say it's kind of part of the game. Yeah. Um. So then, my last question, I guess, is you said it had it was kind of a gift in a way. What's the perspective shift? What's changed? Well, I mean, I guess you know, I've all I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be alive because I guess a lot of people were saying like, "Man, you you almost weren't through that." So I'm definitely grateful to be alive, and I think it just puts things into perspective in the sense where like things that should matter more or things that should matter kind of matter more, but in a positive way. And then things that maybe, you know, are just like silly things you worry about in life. Like I feel like those matter less now. And maybe it just like kind of put priorities a little better. Yeah. 
and I get, you know, I get to do all these things. Like I have a lot of goals that I don't know, would have been a bit of a shame to not accomplish and all sorts of other things in life. So yeah, I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, for sure. No, that's great. Thanks very much, man. It's cool to hear the story. And yeah, sorry if it seems a little bit like digging into something that's fairly fresh. No, no, it's all good. I think if anything, talking about it's a good thing, you know, just get it out there. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Thanks very much, man. That was great. Thanks for listening. For more information, you can check us out and follow along on Instagram at The Adventure Podcast. The podcast is hosted by Matt Pycroft and is produced and distributed by Orla O'Murray and Alex Hall. If you want to get in touch, then you can email us at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk and please do leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts. They make a big difference to us being able to reach a new and wider audience.